Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts that guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by sponsors like Johnsonville Foods, SwineWeb.com, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, the manufacturers of Hoghearth, and SwineTech, the award-winning creator of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how you can reduce piglet crushing and your overall pre-winning mortalities by nearly 25%, visit SwineTechnologies.com. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about fostering, how it's changed, where it's at today, and what's being done to learn more. And joining us is Dr. Mike Ellis. Thanks for joining us today, Mike. My pleasure, sir. I'm excited to talk about this with you because you have been focusing on this topic quite a bit as of recent. And I I think to start things off, I'd rather start off by just having you introduce yourself, a little bit about your background and, and what you're up to today. Yeah, well, I'm an old guy, so it's a long story, uh, Matthew, but I'll try and keep it brief. Uh, I'm obviously not from this part of the world. I was uh, born and brought up in the, the north of England and uh, wanted to work with livestock from an early age. I, through a, a, a long process, I ended up at the University of Newcastle, which, of course, is the, the best agricultural university in the world. Uh, where I did a a degree in um, agriculture. And my intention then was to work on farms, to become a farm manager and to work with cattle and sheep, which is the principal livestock uh, business in in the North of England. It's pretty much stock rearing uh, country. Uh, However, I was fortunate, as I have been throughout my career, to come across uh, some professors, as you call them here, but lecturers, as we call them in the UK, uh, who are basically applied scientists, and they use science uh, to answer questions, and they, they use the results from their studies and teaching, and the light went on uh, for me, and I knew then that if I could, I wanted to uh, get involved in uh, livestock research. And my principal interest at that time was in uh, animal breeding, uh, which is applied genetics, I guess you might call it today. Uh, And I tried to find a PhD position uh, in that area. And the only one I could find was working with pigs. And so perhaps somewhat reluctantly, I I started to work on that project with pigs. But a long story short, I ended up managing a fairly large project, 300 sow operation, which at that time was huge by uh, British standards with a lot of different research going on. And that sort of drug me uh, into management of pigs. And I found I liked that area, the the whole challenge of trying to pull all the pieces together and come up with practical approaches to uh, deal with problems was was, uh, uh, very uh, interesting and exciting from my standpoint. And so I was fortunate moving on from there to get a position as uh, what would be the equivalent of an assistant professor at the University of Newcastle, uh, teaching and doing research in in pig production, as we call it. Um, And I was there for 14, 15 years in that position. Through uh, a very 
good, close personal friend, I ended up uh, spending some time in the U.S. And that led to a, a sabbatical at the University of Illinois, where I met with a number of faculty that I could list, but I'll not go into detail here. That, and, and at that time, and I think still today, uh, biased view, the, the U of I had a, a really uh, exciting and cutting-edge swine program, and uh, I really enjoyed the sabbatical year, year there and, and went back to the UK into my old position. But was fortunate to be hired by the U of I in 1992. And I, uh, I came at that time uh, and started up my career in the US. And my research is uh, what I would call production science. Uh, it, it's not in one perhaps recognized discipline. It's not in nutrition or genetics or uh, meat quality. It's an attempt to pull together the various components of a production system and try and understand how you can manage uh, the, the, the system for optimum performance. Um, major focus in uh, the, the early part of, uh, of the program was on wean to finish production, which had just come into the U.S. I was coming into the U.S. back that originated in the U.S., uh, in the late 1990s and was fortunate to um, establish contacts with industry in, uh, in Illinois and to set up a program where we actually go onto commercial farms to try and uh, do uh, swine production science. Uh, through that program, we established a particular link with the mash-offs and uh, that has been the center point of certainly my uh, research program, a lot of the studies that we do today uh, are on mash-off units, in, including uh, the cross-fostering research that we've done. So um, perhaps more than what you wanted or needed, but that's a, a snapshot of the Ellis career. It's a great snapshot, and it ended well for us to kind of hop into fostering. And I'd like to just start by going over what is fostering, why is it important, and how is it, what are some of the best practices that the industry, I guess, more or less recommends at this time, even though it's hard to talk about best practices? Best practices, yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, again, uh, definitions are critical because uh, that helps focus the cross-fostering. Uh, and by that, I mean personally uh, adjusting litter size and litter composition close to birth, uh, normally within 24 hours or at 24 hours after the piglet's been born. And perhaps the main uh, aim of that is to uh, create litter sizes that are in line with the sow's teat capacity and the number of functional teats, and in some instances to create litters of more uniform birth weight, like litters that have all lightweight piglets in, smaller piglets. Um, so that's what I refer to as cross-fostering. Um, but you can foster piglets at any, any time uh, during lactation. Um, certainly the, the major focus uh, would be on uh, adjusting litter sizes immediately after birth, I would say 24 hours after birth. Um, but at any stage, if a piglet is not performing well, is starting to lose condition, 
obvious signs that it doesn't have a, a teat with milk supply or adequate milk supply, then you can move those piglets onto other sows. And I refer to that as back, cross, back fostering. Uh, but in some instances, you'll see cross fostering used for all uh, of the above for immediately after birth or in the first 24 hours, and then subsequently, um, irrespective of, of what you define it as, in, in my opinion, uh, it is a critical component to minimize pre-weaning mortality uh, because uh, obviously litter sizes uh, are not at birth are not always in line with the sow's rearing capacity. Uh, and you need to adjust uh, to that early on. And then subsequently, sows uh, teats dry up or milk supply decreases. Uh, and if you leave the piglets on the sow, obviously, ultimately, they'll starve. So to me, it's a central component of uh, firing house management to minimize mortality. Um, just to, to be clear again, the work that we've done to date has focused on the what I call cross-fostering, adjusting litter sizes at 24 hours after birth. And we've not specifically looked at what I call back-fostering, uh, how, what are the best practices uh, for that uh, particular situation. I don't know if that starts to answer your, your question. Uh, what else can I talk about? Yeah, so when we get into that, I mean, it's complex, right? And... You go into a farm and some people will foster a ton of pigs. Some people won't foster a ton of pigs and they might end up with a similar production, but there's all these different other parameters. What are some of the parameters that might prevent a farm from just copying the techniques of another to achieve the same results? I mean, what, what other things factor into to fostering that make it so complex? Cause it is complex. Yeah, it is. It is complex. And, and, uh, this may seem like a cop-out, but I would uh, argue pretty strongly that we don't have a scientific basis for uh, understanding what are best or optimum cross-fostering uh, practices. Now, I'm an applied scientist, and uh, I, I like to see results uh, from studies to use as a basis for developing recommendations. And unfortunately, in relation to cross-fostering, that scientific database just isn't there. Um, for many reasons, but mainly because it's a difficult area because it is so complex. Uh, it's also an area that's not been particularly well funded by the funding bodies over time. And most of the studies are historical. That They were done 10, 20 years ago when litter sizes were considerably smaller uh, than they are today. And we shouldn't overlook the fact that uh, cross-fostering has always been complex, but in my opinion, it's got more complex with larger litter sizes. Uh, we now have numbers born, uh, averaging around numbers born alive, averaging around 14 piglets. So functional teat number isn't in excess of that. Normally there are sows that have more, but some have less. So uh, 10 years ago, we were at perhaps 10 to 12 born alive when uh, the sow had on average plenty of teats. Uh, and that increase in litter sizes being accompanied by a reduction in the, the, the size of piglets uh, on average later at, at birth. And there's also a, a bigger number of, of what we would call low birth weight piglets in these larger litters. So it, 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 it is complex and it's becoming, uh, becoming more, more complicated. Um, and, and when we're on the farm too, the parity of the sow and 
where you allocate pigs to make sure the sow is, I guess, positioned as best as possible from guilt to, to coal. That, that, that also plays a factor too, right? Yes. I mean, it, it affects litter size. Uh, as you increase in parity, generally litter size increases up to four or five, six parities. So uh, the older parity sows have, have larger litters. They, they also can lose some teat functionality. Um, and uh, so I, there's a whole range of, of factors that, that come into play. I and mean, if you think of some of the potential uh, decisions that need to be made, I mean, you've got to decide uh, which piglets you're going to cross foster. Or are you going to uh, move the little ones, the big ones, or a mixture, or none or all? Um, you've got to decide on the composition of the, of the litter after cross-fostering. Are you going to go for uniform with groups uh, within uh, uniform within litter weights, all light pigs, all heavy pigs, all medium pigs, or you're going to have a mixture. Uh, key question, you know, what's the, the optimum litter size after uh, cross-fostering? Um, uh, do you relate it just to functional teat number um, and put in as many piglets as the sow has functional teats at farrowing or, or whenever? Uh, so there's a whole range of different variables that, that come into play that uh, add to the complexity. And on that, what research, I guess, is going on or, or has been done to better understand all these complexities and, and this Im- the impact of this on early pig cares and overall productivity? Yeah, well, I'm not uh, fully aware of what's going on everywhere. I've not seen a lot of cross-fostering uh, research going on uh, on a world basis, not a lot appearing in the, in the literature. The, perhaps put that another way, not, not a lot hearing the literature that would be useful to uh, de- develop or understand optimum cross-fostering procedures. Um, because of the deficiencies in, in, uh, in our knowledge <coughs> that I've uh, mentioned, we uh, took a stop step back about 18 months ago and uh, decided uh, working with the mashoffs to try and answer some pretty fundamental questions. Um, we had a few of those questions and we wanted to, to, to get answers to them. And so the work we've done has not been uh, looking directly at optimum cross-fostering procedures. It's been looking at components of that um, with a view to providing the information that then um, people in the industry could work out what the optimum approach was. And some of those questions I've touched on. So <clears throat> we wanted to understand the effect of, of birth weight uh, and, and uh, uh, the weight of the pigs that were cross-fostered. How did that influence uh, pre-weaning survival and pre-weaning growth? It's often, just as an aside, it's often you know, discussed that Cross-fostering affects pre-weaning uh, mortality, for sure it does. Um, but we found it also affects weaning weights. Um, we're not sure how much effect that weaning weight difference uh, would have on subsequent performance, but perhaps cross-fostering is more than just pre-weaning mortality. It's mainly that, but we should perhaps also be thinking about uh, what effect it has on the weight of pigs. So we've looked at uh, different birth weights. We've looked particularly at within litter variation after cross-fostering. And so this is at 24 hours, as I say, after the piglets are born. And we've looked at 
uh, having piglets in uniform litter, so all light, uh, all heavy, and all medium, or mixed weight litters, where you have uh, sometimes we've looked at an equal number of those three weights, like medium and heavy. Sometimes we've looked at weight distributions that are um, similar to the distribution of piglet weights within the, the population that we've been working with. Um, we've looked at the litter size up to cross-fostering in one study. Um, doesn't provide all the answers, but some indications. And uh, the last study that we uh, were working on before COVID uh, brought an end to uh, the work, uh, hopefully uh, we'll get back to it this year, this next year, uh, was looking at the proportion of piglets cross-fostered. Did that have an influence on uh, pre-weaning mortality and weaning weights? So trying to pick apart the fundamental questions and, and answer them individually, uh, if you like, and uh, as a starting point to put them together into a cross-fostering protocol. We aren't there. I mean, I would not give anybody any advice based on our results on optimum procedures. Um, but I think we're further down the road than we were 18 months ago. It sounds like you're further down the road than most, which is a good reason why I wanted to kind of talk about this with you today, because anybody listening, they need to keep their eye out because there might be some research coming out in the next couple of years that will enlighten people on how to better approach this. And we've kind of touched on it from a, a scientific and a pig side of things. I might pull you a little bit out of the comfort zone and ask, when we apply, let's say we find the best way and we place it in a farm. Now you have the element of people and new people and people coming in and then empathy around a, around a piglet. Oh, I want to move that piglet. I want to do this. I want to go the extra mile. How hard is it to find a protocol around fostering and then drive consistency among those in the workforce who either for great intentions or misintentions, they're, they're maybe not implementing it as, as, as best as they should. Yeah, uh, perhaps that's, uh, as they used to say, the $64,000 question. Um, <laughs> that, uh, you know, there's no doubt, it, I'm totally unqualified to, to speak on, on this area, uh, Matthew, but that won't stop us from expressing an opinion. Um, I think it's obvious to me that one of the big differences, if not the biggest difference um, between uh, farms that I see that have low pre-weaning mortality and those that have higher pre-weaning mortality uh, are the people that are working in the firing house, for sure. Um, and so your question related to how do you get a, um, a procedure uh, consistently applied? And um, in my biased opinion, uh, standard operating procedures um, only get you so far in the firing house. There needs to be a significant input of what might be called animal husbandry, an old-fashioned word these days, or stock personship, or whatever you want to call it, but initiative on behalf of the people that are in there that, that see a problem in an animal and, and react, and timeliness is, is, is critical in, in, in this regard uh, in terms of piglets. They, they can lose condition very, very quickly. Um, but I think it's the, 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 the problem of the industry, as I understand it. I mean, how do we get, uh, not we, because I'm outside of it, but how does the industry attract and, and retain uh, high-quality people? It seems like there's fewer and fewer people that are interested in working in 
in swine production. There's a lot of good people there, a lot of really good barring house managers and workers that I see in, in my travels, but apparently not enough of them. And um, the one thing that my uh, colleagues at Mashoffs uh, criticize and berate me for is coming up with good ideas that increase the labor input into managing a farming facility because they just have difficulty, I guess, in, in um, achieving that based upon the current labor situation. So it's, it's the age-old ch challenge. And you know, I know that you're working in this, this area about how, how to define stockmanship or stockpersonship or husbandry and, and what sort of tools can you give the workers uh, to help them make these decisions in a timely manner but it's the crux of the problem i think uh, you know we can provide ideas to develop uh, cross fostering protocols but the implementation of them is is the the key obviously at the end of the day and would you say that that may, may, there might not be one best way for every single farm but a, a best way that fits every farm i mean you think the uh, the ultimate answer around cross fostering might be farm specific as opposed to system or industry specific? Uh, you know, good question. I, I don't know. I, I suspect it, it may well be. I mean, one of the key findings to date um, uh, that we've come up with um, relates to uh, the um, variation in birth weight after cross fostering. In a litter. And just give you the uh, simple uh, results was that if you rear, so uh, perhaps take a step back, there are uh, recommendations out there that for lower birth weight piglets, for the smaller piglets in the litter, if you rear them in uh, litters of uniform weight, in other words, with other small piglets, the uh, survival rate of those piglets is improved compared to leaving them in mixed weight litters with their heavier litter mates. And our results support that. Um, but what they've also showed that was a, a surprise to us to some degree was that if you have a finite population of pigs, obviously you put the, the, the lower birth weight ones uh, in uh, litters with other small piglets, you've got to do something with obviously the heavies and the mediums. And if you rear those heavy piglets with other heavy piglets, you increase the mortality of those piglets versus what it would be if you had them in mixed weight litters. And what that has taught me that I'd not even thought about before is that you really got to look at your birth weight distribution within your population to come up with the optimum approach to maximizing the number of piglets weaned uh, and uh, the weight of those piglets are weaning. And one of the studies we did where we looked at mixed weight litters, which would have an, a proportion of light, medium, and heavy piglets, which was similar to the, the weight distribution in the population we were working with, versus having litters of all light, all medium, or all heavy, the mixed weight litters actually weaned more piglets. Now, I'm not saying that's the optimum approach. What I'm saying is that it's much more complicated than just taking the lower birth weight piglets off. 
that will help those, but you'll compromise so, some 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 of the other weights of, of piglets. Um, so I think the large is, pigs are the last ones you want to compromise, right? Absolutely. So I think again, you, when I mentioned before, we've got to ultimately take into account fast weaning performance, and we really have no data on on that in relation to cross fostering or cross fostering work, including our own stops at, at weaning, and. Uh, we really need to understand it. So I, I, I had to come on uh, uh, and do this interview with you and say that, uh, you know, we really don't have the information to advise producers, not that I would, but the information that producers could use. Um, to But we're um, asking those questions. We're asking those questions. And, and, and it sounds like if we ask these questions more often and we get more people thinking about it, we might end up with more research, more answers. Yeah, I'm always uh, reminded uh, I've been fortunate in, in life and in my career to work with some uh, really talented people and some some huge intellects. And uh, I work with the, the great late Dr. Stan Curtis, who uh, many of the older people, if there are any older people that listen to this, I would remember, but uh, Stan uh, worked in the area of behavior and, and uh, animal environment. And uh, he always said that uh, applied researchers try to answer questions that producers have known the answer to for years. So um, perhaps there are, um, certainly there are people out there in the industry that have worked this out and have a have an approach that uh, that is, is is working in that particular situation. So before we before we hop off, I'd love it if you might share a Dr. Ellis golden nugget with the industry. Of out of all your expertise, is there a golden nugget that you'd have for the industry listeners, new people coming into the industry, whatever you want it to be aimed at? What might a golden nugget be? Uh, good question. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I'm an applied scientist. I fundamentally uh, believe in that. And uh, my basic guiding philosophy has, has always been, you know, if you have a question related to, to pig production, ask the pig, um, because that's the only place you're going to get the answer. And so and, and, and I'm uh, delighted to see that more of this is going on, but the research that's being carried out um, for uh, these sorts of questions needs needs to be done under commercial conditions. Yeah, it needs to be uh, of a standard, uh, of a high uh, standard uh, academic scientific rigor, but it has to be done under commercial conditions. And uh, my uh, golden nugget would be, you know, ask the pig under, under your conditions and in your system when it comes to any question. It's not easy to do for cross-fostering. There need to be large studies, but it's uh, the only way. It's the only way we'll get any further, I think. A lot of, lot of questioning of pigs in cross-fostering. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us on the Popular Pig Podcast. It, it's been great to have you share your knowledge, your expertise, and, and enlighten us with what, what some of our challenges are, the unknowns of the industry, and giving us a heads up on what might be coming down the road. My pleasure, Matthew. Appreciate the opportunity.
Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. Therefore, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com and subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are available. Today's episode is brought to you by sponsors like SwineTech. Leverage the power of computer vision, voice recognition, and real-time behavioral monitoring to reduce mortalities and labor inefficiencies in the farrowing house. For more information, visit swinetechnologies.com.